Welcome to the Behind the Goals podcast, the podcast about fans, for fans and by fans. Please welcome your hosts, Andrew Jenkin and Alan Russell. Hello and welcome to episode 45 of Behind the Goals podcast. Another treat for your ears this week as we speak to Kenny Jameson, the man heavily involved in the Back the Bairns campaign. What did you think, Alan? Yeah, it's a good chat. Um, I knew a little bit about uh, the Back the Bairns campaign at Falkirk, um, partly from its original manifestation 20, 20 years ago or so, but also that they were um, they're doing some work on on uh, on another uh, a campaign for for supporter ownership this time. Mm-hmm. Back the Bairns originally was about just saving the club, not taking it into supporter ownership, um, but now the the new version of Back the Bairns is about a, a supporter ownership campaign. They've had some great coverage in the in the media, yeah. the BBC, and some of the some of the newspapers about this over the last uh, month or month maybe six weeks. Um, so it was a great opportunity to sit down with Kenny and find out a little bit more about what that campaign involves. Um, uh, the stage it's at just now and, and his aspirations for, mm. uh, for for going forward. Definitely, definitely a good one for, for a Falkirk fan to listen to that's interested in finding out more about the campaign because I think when we've done these kind of specific club podcasts in the past, we've done it, you know, since the fan ownership yeah. has happened. Whereas it's this always is been actually, looking back on achievement yes. rather than looking forward at a, a, a target that they have. Very much yeah. so. And whilst this is still kind of in the phase where there's room to shape it and sculpt it and um, fans to have their say in how that goes forward. Mm. So this is a good, a good opportunity for a Falkirk fan to, to find out a bit more about what what is actually being proposed and whether they like the, the cut of the jib, which yes. sounds good. Yeah. Sounds like good jib to me. Yeah, very good jib. So here we are. It's <laughs> Kenny joining us for an interview. Okay, so welcome to episode 45 of Behind the Goals. Uh, today, Andrew and I are joined by Kenny Jameson from the Back the Bairns campaign. Uh, so thanks for coming along, uh, Kenny. Pleasure. Uh, it's, it's a nice novelty to actually be doing these podcasts face-to-face. We normally end up on Skype connections or mobile phone connections where things are dropping and we get lots of technical gremlins. So hopefully sh- shouldn't have any of those this week. Um, <laughs> start off by telling us a little bit about uh, about how the Back the Bairns campaign came to be about, or, or maybe the, start with the basics, what is it, and for, for those who are listeners who, who may be not familiar with it. Well, um, Back the Bairns is um, actually originated back in 1998, so this is a sort of resurrection of a, an old campaign. Back in 1998 we were in provisional liquidation, and um, Back the Bairns was a campaign that was created for, for the fans to raise money to pay the players' wages to keep the club afloat for a number of months until um, the major shareholders, many of whom are still the current major shareholders, actually came in and sort of stabilised the club. Um, so so the, the Back the Bairns 2019 version is a sort of... Uh, resurrection of that although in very very different circumstances I'm glad to say we're not in uh, administration or provisional liquidation or or any sort of financial trouble but the principle of galvanising the fans to get behind the club and to pull all stakeholders together to try and um, get the club back on its feet both in terms of um, performances on the pitch but in in terms of um, you know really injecting fresh ideas and energy and capital into the club mm-hmm. um, is uh, is what we're trying to achieve with this program sure so the, 20, uh, the the 2019 campaign started actually at the tail end of 2018 can you tell us a little bit about uh, what it was that, that caused that to be revived and what was the impetus for, for, for doing something like this 
Well, obviously, the last 18 months um, haven't been great in terms of performances on the pitch. Um, and the uh, you know fans are desperate for things to improve. And over the last 12-18 um, months, the board have been looking at um, different ways to bring more money into the club. And they've been intrigued by different fan ownership models. And uh, my colleague, uh, David White, has, during that period, um, been out talking to lots of different clubs, St Mirren, Motherwell, Dunfermline, Hearts and so on, and, and understanding more about their fan ownership models. And um, during that period, they've tried to get some traction on fan ownership, but quite often it, it only works when um, there's a genuine crisis yeah. and uh, or, or a buyout and, and, and a takeover, and neither of those situations were applicable to us. So I think it was quite difficult to get to get genuine traction. I, I got involved back in November when Margaret Ellie Lang, the, the chair, and um, Craig Campbell, the CEO, asked me to take a look at. Um, take a look at the situation, take a look at where we were and to work with David to see if we could come up with something that would um, that might work for all of the different stakeholders and by the stakeholders I mean the, the current major shareholders and minor shareholders as well as potential new investors as well as the sort of ordinary fan and and this, the, the, the impetus for it really came about um, because the club had been approached by a couple of different consortiums um, with a view to buying out the major shareholders and um, in both cases um, the, the, the deals on offer weren't right for the club as deemed by the major shareholders who are very very focused on ensuring the long term sustainability and, and safeguarding the club and they very much see their role as, as being you know, long term guardians so whilst they are keen to bring in fresh money and get fresh people involved um, they come at it very much from the point of view of making sure that they're working with the right people and making sure that all yeah. the appropriate safeguards are in place, which is obviously what, what all fans want. So that's yeah. a, that's a very much a good thing. And they're they're local people who have been Falkirk supporters all their life, and and back in 1998 had the opportunity and had the had the wherewithal to to actually put money into to help save the, save the club there. So they're. Uh, they weren't speculative investors no, back then. Uh, no, that's exactly right. I mean, uh, fan ownership is maybe slightly a misnomer because to all intents and purposes, we already have fan ownership. We have had for, for a, a long time, for the last 20 years at least. Um, it's just that, that our current fan ownership model sees um, something like it's about 62% of, of the shares concentrated in the hands of, of six fans. And... Um, and, and, you know, they've, over the last 20 years, they, at various times, you know, the club has probably been quite a burden for them. They've yeah, had to, yeah. at times, write cheques and pay wages and, and yeah. provide soft loans and so on and so forth. And, and we all know how difficult it is to, to mm. keep clubs, you know, it's a, it's a hand-to-mouth existence and, it, and, right. and it's not always easy. So they've been terrific for the club um, in, 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 in general terms, but understandably, they are, you know, now looking at other, uh, you know, ways in which they can bring in fresh investment without mm -hmm. them mm -hmm. putting in any more money mm -hmm. themselves. And to their great credit, they've been um, open to to a proposal which would see them diluting their their shareholding from sixty two percent to thirty one percent. So so that they will, um, you know, move from being a majority shareholders to, to still being significant shareholders but to participate in a, in a sort of more democratic process if you like alongside new shareholders and and you know the great benefit for the club I think is if um, you know we've been very reliant on the six of them for the last 20 years and this gives everybody the, the opportunity to sort of create a, a broader set of shoulders I suppose for the club by having rather than having six um, 
major shareholders, you know, broadening it to, to 40 or 50 people that you mm. can potentially rely on for, for further future investment, as well as um, giving the ordinary fan the opportunity to take a much bigger mm. shareholding in the club and therefore have a much greater say in how the club's yeah. run and so on. Yeah. Mm. You, sorry, I was going to just mention, you, you said you spoke to the other fan ownership groups in Scotland when you were sort of constructing this plan and this model. How sort of, I suppose, two, two-part question, which I would always hate, so I apologise for that, <laughs> so that's a bit of a hypocrite. But one, how, um, how much have you learned from some of those other projects that are out there and being quite successful and two how buoyed have you been by how well fan ownership is apparently working in Scottish football at the moment well we, we, we talked to, to a number of clubs as I've mentioned and the first thing I would say was they were all incredibly helpful um, and it was great you know to, 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 to be so welcomed and, and for those clubs to be so open about you know the, their model what's worked well they were very very eager to share learnings with mm-hmm. us and, and, and point out pitfalls that, that they've learned from experience and so on and so forth so, so on and so forth so, so that was very encouraging um, the, the other thing that struck us is there's no there's no one off the shelf model that, that no, works for everyone um, in fact there's, there's no one model that everyone shares everybody seems to have to do something slightly different so we could learn lots from lots of different clubs but th- th- there wasn't just one that we could pick and say that's perfect mm-hmm. for us in particular in our situation where we're not in a financial crisis um, it's not a buyout or a takeover so our, our specific um, situation I think is quite different I'm not really aware of any other clubs who who have sought to bring in new investment um, without actually buying out any existing shareholders or um, to buy the club from an, an administrator the, the, the model that we're working on will bring £800,000 into the club but not a single penny will, will leave the club mm. and it can, mm-hmm. all be, yeah. it can all be spent and retained within, within the business which is, which is very encouraging um, so yeah I mean, we're, we're, we're enthusiastic and buoyed by the potential of fan ownership um, and what we what we did was we said that we um, to be honest we, we didn't know that given the sort of lack of genuine genuine crisis whether there would mm. be mm-hmm. enough traction and enough support from from fans so we said we'll, we'll we'll only do the detailed work on governance and the share issue if we've got the confidence that this is is going to work it's going to get the support mm. so we asked for pledges um, based on a skeleton model and um, Within a couple of weeks, we've we've, um, we've we've had pledges for six hundred thousand pounds against an end goal of eight hundred thousand. So we're about seventy five percent of the way yeah. there in a very short period of time, and that's essentially come um, in two forms. There's about three hundred thousand of the six hundred thousand has come from um, around nine hundred and fifty fans who've pledged in total about twelve and a half thousand pounds a month for a minimum of two years, and uh, on the other side of the equation another £300,000 that's come from 30, we're calling patrons, so these are fans who are, who are able to invest a, a lump sum um, up front of a minimum of £5,000, and the range is from about 5000 to 25000 okay. but overall, um, obviously the average is 10000 30 patrons at £300,000, so, so that's very encouraging. Um, None of that at the moment is a firm financial commitment because uh, it's all okay. subject yeah. to the to the detailed plan, which is really what we're working on at this moment mm-hmm. in time. Yeah. So the, inter- the interesting thing there, you had the skeleton plan and you're talking to the major shareholders about refining that and, and, and getting that right, broadly broadly right, um, but in the but not doing that 
in secret in a closed room actually and in parallel to that and actually getting out there and testing the commitment of committing the supporters so that you can bring all that together mm -hmm. into so let's let's execute this let's implement this this, this plan mm -hmm. um that sounds, sounds very encouraging that hopefully getting those two pieces moving closer together means that when you when you hit the start line um you'll you'll be sprinting we certainly hope so, and and we're we're doing a lot of work up front before we before we um, press the button, if you like, because it's important that um, you know if fans are going to raise eight hundred thousand pounds, they've got to know exactly what it's in return for, and at the same and on the other side of the equation, the um, current shareholders, whether major or minor, have got mm -hmm. to understand what they're. Um, you know, giving up, if you like, in return for this this fresh investment. But of course, it's a you know a, a, a big objective of this is to is not to have any sense of us and them or old shareholders versus new shareholders. Because yeah. of course, the reality is a lot of them are the same people. Mm. So a lot of the pledges um, for for new investment have come from current shareholders, yeah. and a number of the patrons who've come forward with pledging lump sum investment are already current shareholders yeah. so so there's like a Venn diagram there's a lot of overlap between yeah. the two um, so but, but the the end game is that you know the, the, I think the key is to focus on um, what everybody wants out of this which is ultimately a, a, a football club that's, that's healthy and yeah. um, well run um, sustainable um, and, and has um, you know its assets protected yeah. for for the long run um, and uh, you know when I presented this at the EGM back in December I, um, I reminded people of where we were back in 1998 and how what we actually did back in 1998 was essentially we, we chose to create a, a different future for our football club um, and, and if we hadn't done what we did, we might have had a very different future and we might have had no future at all. And of course, 20 years later, you're able to look back over the last 20 years and say, well, actually, the future that we created back in 1998, when we look back, mm -hmm. was actually been, you know, it's actually been pretty decent. We've had yeah. some, okay, we've had some, some, some um, seasons where it hasn't been so good. But over that period, you know, we've been promoted. We've been in a couple of cup finals. Mm -hmm. You know, we've had a lot of good, a lot of good yeah. seasons, a lot of good memories. We've played in Europe and so on and so forth. So, so fans were able to see, well, yeah, we did. That's what we did. We created yeah. that future, yeah. and, and now. Um, by doing this and getting behind this, then we've got the potential to create a, 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 another new future for the for the next twenty years. Because and, and part of what's changed since nineteen ninety eight to today is you know nineteen ninety eight you were in you're in Brockville and now mm -hmm. Falkirk play in a, a modern fit for purpose you know stadium with better facilities for supporters mm -hmm. and home supporters and visiting supporters. So significant change there, and it can sometimes be forgotten how how rapidly the club has changed and how much has changed. It has, and during that period we've had five seasons in the Premiership and. And as I say, you know, cup, cup finals and so on and so forth. So, so, so some good times. But where we are today, obviously, this this is our, our ninth season in the championship, and um, you know, last season we finished eighth, and, and we're, we're currently in eighth um, at the moment, having been bottom of the league for most of this season. So, I, I do think the time is right for. And an, another intervention, yeah. if you like, from fans to try and um, galvanise and re-energise yeah. and refresh, because the big 
it's, it's a very very difficult league to get out of the championship and I think the longer you stay in it that much, mm. you know, the harder the harder it gets and, and obviously the worst case scenario is that we, we could end up in, in League One mm. um, which then and again you know you then have to cut your cloth accordingly yeah. to, to adapt to that new environment so it's really about stopping that um, from happening and uh, you know touch wood performances uh, in recent weeks suggest that hopefully we'll be able to at least stay in the championship but in order to actually get out of the championship and get back into the premiership it's an incredibly difficult league to get out yeah. of mm. um, and over the last nine seasons obviously we've had you know Rangers and Hearts and Hibs at various at various stages which has made it even more difficult but even at the moment when you've got when you've got a club like Falkirk which essentially is is built to live within its means and to only spend money that it, that it brings in each season and can afford and you're competing with other clubs who operate to a different model and, and they're perfectly legitimate and legal models so there's there's no criticism of them but it's very difficult for a club that's living within its means to compete mm-hmm. against other clubs mm-hmm. where those clubs are essentially owned by individuals who, who are able and willing to, to essentially gamble mm. and, and to spend yeah. more than that club is bringing in in that season mm. and they're, they're, they're placing a big bet in order to try and get promoted back to the Premiership. Right. Mm. Right. So no, no, no matter how well the clubs run and no matter how well you cut your cloth, you're still up against clubs that yeah. are operating to a different model. Mm. But nevertheless, um, that's where we are. And the idea of this additional £800,000 is that it will be used to supplement the, the core playing budget that should be enough um, you know over three or four seasons to at least mm-hmm. at least give us a fighting chance yeah. of getting promoted yeah. whether it's directly or through yeah. the playoffs yeah. and although the understanding of, of, of what the model will look like um, is still evolving um, what's your best your best guess about what the club will look like if the if the back the bears campaign is successful this year well, um, the, the the skeleton is 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 already been agreed, so I can I can tell you the details of that. Essentially, there are currently two point four million shares in Falkirk Football Club, and um, the plan is to issue a new two point four million shares. So essentially, double the number of shares in the club. That therefore um, obviously halves um, all of the current shareholders' percentage shareholding. So there's a, a dilution of all current shareholders. And the new 2.4 million shares will be bought by supporters um, for a, a totally £100,000. Um, as I've mentioned, there are two types of investment, um, are, are two types of share. There are A shares, which essentially will be bought by what we're calling patrons. So that's for lump sum investments of at least £5,000. And then there's B shares, which offer collective voting rights for... Okay supporters who will invest in those shares via monthly monthly share save of 10 to 15 20 pounds a month um, for a minimum of two years mm-hmm. so that's how we will um, that, that's how the investment will be balanced if that all goes to plan um, and based on our projections we expect to raise about 440,000 pounds from patrons and 360,000 pounds from supporters and if that um, is, is how it pans out we'll end up with a, a, um, a shareholding of the club whereby two-thirds of the club will be owned by patrons and one-third will be owned by supporters. And of the, the two-thirds that's owned by patrons, almost exactly half uh, of that, so 
30, 31, 32% mm. um, will be owned by the, the new patrons and 31% will be owned by the, the six Thanks people who are the current major shareholders, if that all yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So so I think um, in, terms yeah. of, in terms of fan ownership, you know, we, the, the one of the debates that we all, you, people always have about fan ownership is how sustainable is it for you know, bigger clubs? I think for, for, for very small clubs, you know, really sort of community-based clubs, having quite a fragmented shareholder, shareholder base where every shareholder is quite small, you know, is probably manageable. I think the bigger the club gets, the more you do need a balance between the sort of ordinary fan that can afford 10 or 20 pounds a month and, and some fans who can afford, you know, bigger lump sums. Yeah, it's interesting because I mean, uh, at the end of the day, they've they've all got to cut their cloth accordingly, which is a, a, a Falkirk would be a club that you would say would be in that kind of bracket, I guess. So it yeah. seems like it's kind of the the environment for it would be quite ripe in that sense. In terms of your the B shares, so that's the kind of the collective core that are going to be paying the monthly contributions. How's that going to be structured? Do you know yet, or have you not come to that bridge in terms of how that's going to be set up and how they vote and? the governance around that? It's still a work in progress but um, there's essentially two options. You could actually create a, a new class of share that's literally a B share that has um, collective voting rights imbued within the share and we think that's probably unnecessarily complex mm. and a simpler way to do it would be to, to not create a different class of share but to create effectively a, a supporters company um, possibly a, a a company limited by guarantee, which is um, actually the same as a foundation of hearts. That's yeah. a sort of corporate yeah. vehicle for, for foundation of hearts. Um, a company limited by guarantee allows you to, rather than having, rather than having share, shareholders, you have members. So every supporter who's invested would become a member. It would be one member, one vote, which which gives you the sort of, you know straightforward direct mm. democracy. But it also allows you to to create a collective voting mechanism. Mm. So the supporters' company would be set up. Everybody would be a member, and the company would own shares in Falkirk Football Club on behalf of the mm-hmm. the, the investors mm-hmm. in the um, in, in the supporters scheme. We think that's how it's most likely mm-hmm. to work, and then obviously that would have to have a board and articles of association, and essentially the board or the, the chairperson could then represent the the collective vote at um, the, the football club sure. AGM. Sure. So we think we think that's the, the most likely way in which that'll, uh, that 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 will be set up. Right. Um, and uh, but the imp- you know the important thing is that um, that the ordinary fan you know by by um, voting collectively and by having a significant shareholding you know uh, uh, in, in the region of thirty percent it really gives fans uh, you know a huge voice mm. in the future of the club um, and it allows them to have a very strong say in any special resolutions for example that that might involve selling a major shareholding or the entire shareholding or selling club assets like yeah. stands mm-hmm. or, the, or the whole stadium and so on yeah. and so forth so uh, it's really important that um, that the ordinary fan feels that you know it's, it's very much yeah. their club and that their voice is heard and the significance of that number is that it's above the twenty-five percent that allows uh, allows it to have those, those additional powers. Exactly. Uh, exactly right. Yeah. 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 So have you been surprised? I mean, you've got great numbers in terms of the pledges. Has they exceeded your expectations or are they kind of in line with what you were hoping? Because, I mean, it's, it's a sort of a sleeping giant in some respect. Yeah, I honestly had no idea what to expect because, um, as I said, because it wasn't a, it's not a genuine crisis, um, you, you just never really mm. know. I was, I was certainly concerned that, you know, would there just be apathy or... or, or, or um, 
or, or cynicism. Um, but no, I've, I've been delighted in terms of the, the response and the, the, the positivity, the feedback. Um, obviously, there's and, and there, there, we know that there's also um, more money uh, there to be had um, because some of the conversations we've had with patrons, uh, you know, they, they, they've said, well, if, if we we've pledged so much, sure. but if we if we like the the shape of the the detailed the plan, yeah, then yeah. we will contribute more than we've already pledged. And we've had conversations with other potential patrons who said, well, we're not we're not pledging anything just mm -hmm. yet, mm -hmm. but again, if we like yeah. if we like the plan, then we will come forward. So, so we're. Um, you know, fairly, fairly optimistic that we'll be able to to get um, from where we are to where we need to be. So we're at, we're at three three hundred thousand um, in terms of pledges from from patrons. We need to get to four forty. That's um, that's over for the first two years of, of no no. The, right well, no, the the, the patrons' money comes in. Straight oh, so away. that's for patrons, so, right? So that's sorry. in yeah. lump, lump sum. So you know, we'd hope to to secure the vast majority of that straight up front, away yeah. up front. And then um, we're currently at twelve and a half thousand pounds a month from supporters, and we need to get that to fifteen thousand pounds a month to hit three sixty over two years. Yeah, yeah. So mm -hmm. we've got a bit to go yet there. But again, you know, if we can go back to nine hundred and fifty supporters who've already pledged and said, look, if everybody gives another couple of pound or another five or whatever, then that's going to make a big difference. We can go back to patrons and say, look, can any of you give a bit, you know, a bit more there? Plus, you know, there's there's the club is three thousand season ticket holders, so there's still less than a thousand yeah, people yeah. who've pledged. So there's still potential to get over a thousand people. Um, and, and you know, new people to come forward. So, so we're we're quietly confident that we can we can get to the numbers that we mm. that we need to get to. Presumably within that, sorry, just to go back to the the, the kind of collective group of shares that the fans will hold. <laughs> presumably, going forward, they'll have the option to go and buy more shares if they want to, and they so desire to to go out and perhaps buy a majority if they ever wanted to. Yes, um, I mean the future share issues. Um, obviously, we'd have to come back to sure. to, to an AGM and, and and be voted on via special resolution by the shareholders. But yes, I, and, and the, once we get to um, four point eight million shares in total, that the yeah. plan is that that you know that will stop there. So it's not yeah. an, you, yeah. you, you, the plan is not to just keep you know, an ongoing yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. keep issuing shares. But there's absolutely nothing to stop in future further share issue. And um, you know one of the asset protections that we're looking to bake into the Articles of Association is, is that you know that, that fans always get the opportunity to maintain their shareholding above 25%. Mm -hmm. um, so, so um, I like that phrase, baking. That's good. I'm going to bake that in. <laughs> so, uh, so, uh, so no, no one could come along and 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 uh, you know buy a buy a, a lump of shares that would effectively dilute the supporters below twenty five percent. We've also agreed um, that no individual patron can own more than than six point two five percent. Again, for the same reasons. So, so what you you know you don't want to do is is replace one major shareholders sure. group with sure. with with a different sure. major sure. shareholders yeah. group. Yeah. Um, so that there um, there's a cap. Been put and agreed on um, how much any individual patron can own, so it has to be genuinely democratic. Um, and again, that's all about checks and balances and ensuring that that um, that you you strike the right balance between you know attracting investment and not putting people off who do yeah. want to invest, yeah. but at the same time not allowing any one individual or small group of individuals to to assume a majority yeah. control. Mm. So what's the what's the kind of Timescale for this going forward, Kenny. Is it, have you got something in mind in terms of where you would like to have a? We need to get a certain amount of votes by a certain point. Sorry, not votes, but uh, pledges. Yeah, is it, we, we, we want to do this quickly. Um, the whole the whole 
point is really to um, to generate income that, that can make a difference next season. Um, so we started this in, in November, we presented it to the EGM in December and we said give us your pledges by the end of January and if we get enough pledges we will um, do the work in February and March with a view to um, to um, having an EGM in April. Mm-hmm. EGM is normally November so we'll have an extraordinary general meeting in April um, essentially to approve everything that needs to be approved, the share issue, the future governance model, yeah. the transition plan, the changes to articles of association. Um, and uh, you know, subject to shareholder approval, um, we want um, this to, to, to be launched in May and the first payments to be made in May so that Ray McKinnon has uh, extra money in his budget from um, from June when he's when he's starting to recruit um, a squad for, for next season. That must be a great incentive if you're a Falkirk fan listening to this to hear that, you, you know, because I think a lot of thing about fan ownership is trying to convince a fan that perhaps hasn't had an interest in governance and ownership, wants to see their team perform. It must be a great incentive for a Falkirk fan to listen to this and go, actually, we're going to get representation as fans, but also Ray McKinnon's going to have a bigger playing budget to play with, so next year, you, you know, the product's going to be hopefully better. You know, that's kind of... Must be a great selling point for a Falkirk fan. Very much so. Well, it's it's, it's immediate and it's tangible. And, and and the honest truth is, you know, some fans are not all that interested sure. in share issues and governance <laughs> and getting involved well, in committees and, and style yeah, all of that yeah, sort of yeah. stuff. You know, a lot of fans just do want to come along and watch watch the matches on a Saturday, and and hopefully see the team improve and, and win the games. So for for those fans, they mm. can see a real tangible mm. direct benefit. Um, other fans are far more interested in what goes on behind mm-hmm. the scenes. So for them, you know, they, they've they've got to be satisfied that um, that change is happening off the pitch as well as on the pitch. Um, and and but you know the the change has got to be um, it's got to be managed and it's got to be sensible. Um, and the last thing you want to do, I always you say, obviously, often fans won't change immediate, you know, immediately, and and they can be quite, you know, mm-hmm. sort of. Um, radical in the way that they want things to change but you know I've, I've said, to, said to people you know you would never ever um, change a board of any company unless the company was a complete basket case you know and, yeah. and, and Falkirk isn't you know it's, it's actually a really well run club that's you know it's, it's, that's financially solvent it's got no debt it, operationally it's, it's, it's well run you know Fans will criticise the board and say they could have done this or could have done that or could have done things differently. And you know some of that criticism is, is fine, but um, you know nobody wants to destabilise the club. Nobody wants to 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 make decisions that um, actually have a detrimental effect on the club. So change has got to be managed mm-hmm. sensibly, carefully. So the whole idea of the plan is to you know d- to design a plan for the reasonable person and. Uh, There'll be compromise required from because there's a, such a huge number of stakeholders. Sure. You're talking about a thousand different stakeholders. So to try and design uh, a single plan that suits, you know, ticks mm-hmm. every box for every single person is is just not doable. Mm-hmm. But what is doable is to, to is to design a reasonable plan that anybody who's reasonable can can you know can can coalesce behind and, and come towards and be willing to compromise on, and that's what's going to be required. But we th- we think that's a, that, that's achievable, and we think the proposal that's currently with the um, major shareholders on the board and the patrons, um, you know, does just that. It, it does deliver change, but it does it in a sensible, managed fashion mm-hmm. that um, that will ensure that money can be made available for re, you know, immediately, uh-huh. but that over a, a longer period of time 
the leadership structure and the governance structure and the way in which the club run runs reflects the changing ownership structure right. because obviously over the next two years the, the ownership is, is yeah. going to be evolving yeah. from yeah. the current model to the new model so it's very much about a, tra- a transition plan yeah. between between now and the future yeah mm. so how close to you are ag- to you are how close are you to an agreement with them about that structure is it is it just about the mechanics of how the transition happens or are there other areas where you need still need to, to work and get closer yeah we've agreement? we've um, I think we're on about a third or fourth iteration of the proposal um, and that's um, going back and forward consultations with yeah. the major shareholders with the board and with the, the, the 30 pledged patrons mm-hmm. um, uh, that's, that's obviously, there's a lot of opinions. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah, a, it's yeah, a moving yeah. feast. I'm trying to trying to keep tabs on which version we're, <laughs> we're, we're talking about at any given moment in time. Um, but yeah, we're making we're making progress. Obviously, there's there's you know there's there there are points of view on all sides that have to be sort of tr- you know tried to, to to accommodate them and find common ground. But at the end of the day, everybody wants you know wants this to happen and yeah. wa- wants the, the the club to to succeed. Um, so so. Um, our time skills are again we're, we're, we're moving at pace um, the the key thing at the moment is the f- the future governance model and the transition plan towards yeah. it and we hope to get um, white smoke on that by <laughs> by the end of this month by the okay, end of February right. so the next couple yeah. of weeks and then if we have that in place then in March we'll do this sort of detailed work on the, the sort of technical detail the share issue which I'm not an expert in by any stretch so we need you know corporate legal advice uh, on that um, but there's no there's no point in current mm-hmm. you know sure. legal yeah. fees unless we have the the governance yeah. model and a transition plan in place and we'll also do the work on the articles of association and on setting up the supporters um, company yeah. if, yeah. assuming that, that is the route that we that we choose to go down. Yeah, I imagine that the the the, sort of the breadth of which which have consulted and talked to talked to supporters that that may well have turned up um, some expertise in your in within your support who can help with some of that detailed work, the legal, the financial, and uh, all all those kind of you know skills that you can bring to the table. Is that the case? It has, yes, it has. Um, it, it, it's. Um the I mean a lot of the patrons, for example, that have come forward. I mean I don't I don't I don't know them personally. Mm-hmm. Um and you tend to think that you know everybody who supports <laughs> your football team. But we've actually had um patrons from Hong one from Hong Kong and one from Alaska. Oh wow. So it's, they're not even necessary. I mean, they're obviously <laughs> Falkirk fans or, or the Anchorage Bears expats. <laughs> yes, that little little one supporters club. Um but yeah, the, the the process has sort of brought people out that we, that we, we obviously yeah. you know weren't necessarily aware of. Um, so and, and as you say, you know they've they've got a diverse range of skill sets. But most most of the patrons either run their own businesses or they're in sort of senior professional jobs. Yeah. So they've got you know a, a very interesting and diverse range of skills. Um, but from amongst the supporters base as well, um, the people who've subscribed to the, the share save scheme, we've had several offers mm. of of help. Yeah. Um, and that's everything from you know web design and, and marketing yeah. to to um, to finance and yeah. and, and, and uh, legal services. Yeah. So, so often yeah, like so I'd like to think of that. You, you often hear about crowdfunding or crowdsourcing, but actually crowd working mm-hmm. uh, is a mm-hmm. big a big advantage of these supporter movements. And that you, know, you 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 find skills, abilities, and, and willingness to to, to, to work uh, on on behalf of the club that they love uh, from from running, running these campaigns. So that's almost as valuable as as the pledges themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, there are very few. Industries are very few businesses where um, 
people will work for them for nothing. That yeah. is, you know, <laughs> foot, football is, is you know, it's not quite unique, but it's uh, it's an incredible um, industry when you get so many people who will mm. more than Very happily so. yeah. um, do a lot of work on behalf of of, of the football club yeah. and not expect yeah. anything in return. Yeah. So it's um, so if you can galvanise that, you know, obviously without taking advantage right. of people, yeah. but if you can if you can galvanise that, then it can be extremely powerful. Yeah. So if there is a Falkirk fan listening to this, where would they go online to find out a bit more and potentially pledge some support? Um, the best place to go is um, backthebairns.com, so www.backthebairns.com. You can pledge there, um, but the Falkirk Football Club website um, also has all of the details um, on the scheme itself and it has a Q&A um, that's available on there. So if anybody wants to... Um, wants to you know find out about the scheme yeah. itself they can find the details there or um, any of the sort of Falkirk FC social media sites you know whether they're the, the official club sites or the informal fan sites you, you'll always be able to, to find information on there Pine Bovril as well it's got a specific yeah. Falkirk thread so okay. so uh, and you're 75% away to that target so there is still some some work to be done to, to generate more pledges from, from people yes we're still I mean we're still £200,000 short of target yeah. so so <laughs> job not done yet but it's looking not done yeah, good. and and the, the you know the people who've pledged have still got to to honour those pledges. So sure. we're, we're not we're not we can't even take that for granted yeah. that mm. that. Um, so this next phase of work is critically important because what we don't want is that um, you know that, that 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 it's not appealing enough um, for to, you know it needs to be appealing enough to attract another two hundred thousand pounds as well as motivate all six hundred thousand pounds to to be honoured. So yeah. so it's a really important you know next phase of work, mm. um, and it has to deliver what. You know what the investors are looking for, yeah. um, and that's a you know that's a difficult yeah. challenge because it's, it's actually quite difficult to say what what the investors are looking for because there's a thousand of them and they're yes. not all necessarily looking for the same yeah. thing. So, yeah. um, but but we're, yeah, I think we're making progress yeah. and I think we'll we'll get there. We'll certainly be able to put something in front of them. And, and we said it's uh, you know unlike unlike Brexit, you do get a people's vote <laughs> on, on this. Um, you'll, we'll come back and we'll show you what the final deal is, and then you can you know decide to to support it or not yeah. at that stage. Yeah. Mm. Very good. Um, going off to you, Al. Yeah, so I was going to do the final question. Do you yeah, have a, a yeah. second no, last no, question? No. So yeah, our, our favourite final question of every of every interview when we remember, which is about half the time. <laughs> uh, if you could change one thing about Scottish football, what would it be? To either benefit your club or Scottish football as a whole or just a, a pet obsession or interest that you have or pet peeve that you have? Goodness, that's, um, that's, a, that's a big, big question. Um, I think I think the key for me would be the one thing I would change would be that the people who are, who are you know at the top of Scottish football would would have some sort of vision for the future of Scottish football, and would fundamentally change the the way the whole game is run in Scotland and the way in which it's structured, the way in which um, money is distributed in particular. Um, for far far too long, it's been. Um, Dominated by greed and self-interest, and you know, ever since the the self-preservation league, as I like to call it, the uh, the SPL was created back in 1998. It's been you know heavily focused on um, sucking all of the money in Scottish football up to the the, the top of the leagues and and uh, to the top clubs in particular. And um, you know, one of the I mean, this whole this whole fan ownership uh, scheme is all. Um, is all well and good and it's important that we do it but you know one of my bugbears is that a club like Falkirk shouldn't really have to do this this sort of scheme 
Um, and the reason that it does is because it's been stuck in the championship for so long that it very much has to cut its cloth accordingly. And you can say, well, that's that's you know that's that's just the market, the mechanism of the market. That's how things work. But actually, it isn't. It's largely to do with the the cloth um, for all championship clubs being you know far too little, and that's because championship clubs are starved of cash because of the because the distribution model sucks all of the cash towards the the, the Premiership teams. So and the the SPFL has made no difference whatsoever to that. And we're still in a situation where. The, the, the core model sees 76% of all of the money in the SPFL go to the top 12 teams and that doesn't include Scottish Cup money, Betfred money, yeah. you know, UEFA solidarity payment, the most recent payment was £4 million and 100% of that went to the, the top teams. The new BBC television deal um, that is showing championship matches so, so we as fans are going to be inconvenienced being going to watch matches on a Friday night because they're live on the television but the vast bulk of that money will be going to the premiership teams yeah. so you've got a situation where you know in the round more than 80% of all of the money goes to, to premiership teams mm. and um, you know that is what ultimately makes it very very difficult for teams like Falker not just Falker but any championship team to, to survive and the longer you're in the championship you know the harder it gets and, yeah. I, and a club like Falkirk should be able to um, produce a turnover that allows it to from that turnover to deliver a competitive playing budget and fund an academy yeah. and still break even mm, when yes. it does that yeah. but Falkirk's never been able to do that in the, yeah. in the nine seasons it's been in the championship so at least one of those things has to give yeah, well one of those yeah. things has to give and, 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 and the you know when, when we got relegated back in 2010 you go from something like four and a half million pounds turnover to one and a half million pounds turnover and there's very few businesses can, can cope with losing two thirds of your turnover yeah. overnight yeah. And, and the only way, the only model that the, the club has managed to run over the last nine, ten years is essentially to, to budget for finishing third or fourth in the league. And that has delivered a, a reasonably competitive playing budget. And we've been able to run an academy, but in doing that, we've still been running an, an operating loss of two to £300,000, not underlying loss on an ongoing basis. And the only way that the clubs managed to plug plug that two three hundred thousand pound gap has been to sell players from the mostly from the mm -hmm. academy, or to have a good run in the cup. But that's it's not really a sustainable yeah. model. That's you know it's very much built on sand. So what happened season uh, last season was that when we were sitting in eighth position, you know having having kind of budgeted to finish third or fourth. Rather than facing a two three hundred thousand pound underlying loss, we were facing a six to eight hundred thousand pound loss, mm -hmm. and as a consequence of that, the 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 only thing, the only way that, that cost could be mitigated in a hurry, in, in the in the view of the the board, was to cut cut the academy, which um, whilst I can understand why that decision was made, you know a club like Falkirk should never be in a position mm -hmm. that you can have. No, it's not even a bad season. They had about bad six months um, yeah. up to Christmas, and because of the, the the financial model in the championship is so precarious, because the clubs are so starved of cash, that six bad months can push you over the edge mm -hmm. and, and 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 sort of put you in a position where you feel that your only option is to pull an academy, to, to you know pull the plug on an academy, which is one of the best academies in Scotland. You know, mm. producing some of the, the best talent over the past ten yeah. years. Yeah. I mean, it's it's utter madness yeah. to, to, to structure um, Scottish football in the way in which it's currently structured yeah. but until yeah. such times as 
um, the the clubs, because ultimately both the SPFL and the SFA are members associations, and the members are the clubs. And unfortunately, turkeys don't vote for Christmas, ah, so it's yeah. very, very yeah. difficult to see how the clubs themselves will ever be able to mm. to envision their way out of a situation when they're so riven by self-interest. Yeah. I guess that structural difference between the numbers in, in each division, so it's all four divisions, there's a, there's a big drop in finances as you as you go from one division to the, to the one below. With that, that step being so big, that incentivises reckless financial behaviour in terms of, well, let's just yep. throw a bit more money at it and then yep. we'll get up and then everything will be okay. But if, if, ten, if, if six or ten teams in a division are all throwing more money than they can afford yeah. at it, mm -hmm. well, only one or two of them can go up and then the rest of them are left you know, you know, to, to, to live with the consequences. Well, that's exactly right. What, what you have in the championship at the minute, you've got, you've got clubs who are, who are operating essentially to two different models. You've, you've got clubs like Falkirk who, who are trying to live within their means and operate in a budget that, that um, they can afford so that they can break even at the end of the season. And, and because the financial prize of getting back into the Premiership is so great, you've got other clubs who are employing a different financial model whereby they, they're, they're living beyond their means. They're gambling, yeah. essentially. They're, they're, they're willing to take a, a one or a two season punt on getting back to the Premiership. Um, and that is, that is reckless behaviour. Now, it's fine. You know, individual clubs can sort of do what they want and their own fans can form a view as to what works for them. And, and obviously, if the gamble pays off, then you know fans yeah. will generally be happy. But you do it have a pay, but it can't pay off for everybody. It can't pay off for everybody, mm. and you've got a, a playing field that's not level. Yeah, um, and it, within and the championship, and actually, just becomes more and more on on that level as well, doesn't it? You, it that it golf does. just grows and grows and grows. And you it see does. it in you see it in, in Premiership in England as well, don't you? You get a handful of four or five clubs that just make more and more money because they had bigger budget in the first place. So then yeah. they go and get more prize money, more Champions League yeah. money. So the golf just grows. And, the golf and, grows. And it becomes, doesn't become a sport anymore, does uh, it? <laughs> well, the, fun, the, fun, the fundamental ideological problem is that football and, and people who run football are, are choosing to see it as a market. Mm. Choosing to see football as a market. And football leagues should actually be treated much more like an ecosystem, yeah. right? And, yeah. and okay, you say, well, what's the difference between a market and an ecosystem? Well, they are fundamentally different in how you look at them. Because markets are built for, for the players in that market to essentially try to put each other out of business. That's what that's what uh -huh. companies in, in, in regular markets do. They try to dominate and they try to, to use their, 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 their power to put smaller competitors out of business because so they, they know that if they if they you know if, if a, a small um, you know cola brand goes out of business then those consumers are just going to gravitate yeah. to Pepsi or cola or whatever. But that, that you know that doesn't happen in football. Yeah. If if you well, they, they all need each other as well, yeah. don't they? So that's somebody football clubs. Exactly, football clubs can't play against themselves. Yeah. They all need each other. And and, yeah. and what's far more important than the health of any one individual team is the health of the whole ecosystem. Yes. yes. And what you have in an ecosystem is is um, a situation where if, if predators overprey on smaller creatures in an ecosystem, eventually they will kill themselves because they, they, they don't allow the smaller creatures sufficient breathing space to breed mm. and therefore to provide you know sustainable food in the future. Um, and that sort of short-sightedness and what mm. you so therefore ecosystems, healthy ecosystems require dynamic balance 
by you know a, an appropriate mm. um, level of predators and prey and so on and so forth. Okay, so I'm taking this analogy oh, to no, the no, I like it. I love it. No, I understand it. And, and there's there is a, there's a there is a really good example of it in boxing. And I can't remember. You might be able to tell me. I think it's smelling smelling someone. Uh, that sounded smelling bad. salts. <laughs> smelling smelling versus someone. Anyway, basically, he he went on a run of fifty games unbeaten. And at the start, the attendances were up. As he went on, the attendances dropped because it was boring. And mm-hmm. so it wasn't until he lost the game that the attendances rose again. Yeah. So the point being that actually it's, it's no fun if one team just wins it all the time. You have to have a healthy competition there to challenge. And so it shouldn't be a monopoly, as you say. It should be more yeah. of a, a balanced playing field. Well, so we should, and we should look for ecological metaphors for describing football rather than business metaphors. That, that's exactly right. And, and the, health of the, the, the health of the whole league is the health of the ecosystem and what you want is dynamic balance mm. and, and dynamic equilibrium and and that requires there's no question there's a correlation between wealth and performance on the pitch and if you think of um, football as having two key axes one is um, quality and one is competitiveness now in, you would if you were going to design a league you would have you know you'd be at the top right of that, of that graph you'd have high, very high quality and high competitiveness but if you can only have one, so quality is a factor of absolute wealth and competitiveness is a factor of relative wealth. If you can only have one of those or you only focus on one, you would have competitiveness uh-huh. in the first mm-hmm. instance mm-hmm. Yeah. because that's the most important thing. But the more unequal the distribution of money, um, the less competitive the league becomes, mm-hmm. the more boring it becomes uh-huh. because you've not got unpredictability of outcome and so on and so forth. So yeah. so that, that, that fundamental metaphor around the, the health of the ecosystem requires um, gr- better distribution of money to increase com- com- mm-hmm. competitiveness yeah. which mm-hmm. which increases the health of the whole league mm-hmm. rather than just um, allowing you know individual players within that to get bigger and bigger and bigger which is yeah. what happens in a yeah. market and what, in, and what is happening in football yeah and it's not it's not healthy for for the, the, the football ecosystem. Yeah. I'm loving that analogy. Yeah. And, and one, sorry, one thing I was going to ask about. That's a very long answer. To that really answer. I'm actually glad you said that is the one thing you'd change about Scottish football because most people say something difficult. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was, I, was, I was really into that. I was very invested. Um, I suppose my follow-up, my, my thing has always been actually that we don't, we don't want to become too Americanised, but one thing I do actually appreciate about the American setup is actually, although they are very much a capitalist country and very proud of being very capitalist their sporting leagues are actually quite socialist yeah. in the way yeah. they're set up and structured mm-hmm. and so if you come bottom of the division okay you don't get relegated which i don't like that i don't think that will ever catch on here but mm-hmm. you get the most you get the biggest budget or you get the first pick of the draft so mm-hmm. actually you they're always trying to balance it out they're always yeah. trying to make the, the playing field and that's because they've got a different setup in terms mm-hmm. of you know yeah. the league franchises much, yeah, so yeah the league mm-hmm. owns everything but yeah. i think that if we could adopt something like that that would be a but, positive thing for Scottish that, football. that is exactly the difference between systems thinking mm. so thinking about that as an ecosystem mm. uh, versus market thinking as you see americans are you know the, the most capitalist market driven mm. people on earth uh-huh. yet they understand that sport it's different. It requires a different model. It requires a different approach, and it's the health of the ecosystem that's much more important yeah. than the individual clubs. Mm. And they, they're different because yeah. they don't have the history and the, the heritage, and, the, and they're still making the lots, lots of money. Yes, <laughs> and, and of course they are. Yeah, and 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 but they do. You know the the salary cap, the yeah. draft system, yeah. the, the the sharing of data, and so on and so forth. And then yeah. they they do. Um, you know they, they are looking at it in the round, and every club's understands that they benefit if everybody benefits. But the market they are in is competing against other sports. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah. Yes. So it's those mm. it's, it's, it's basketball against American football against yeah. soccer. Mm. Um, mm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> I was talking about Thomas Everton was an American. <laughs> he, 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 you know, every, every in Scotland, every club sees sees other clubs as, yeah. as a competitor rather yeah. than yeah. So, you know yeah. a, a, a collaborator. Yeah. Um, and as you say, clubs can't can't play against themselves. You know, they, yeah. they, they do need you know you do need two teams to form a game. But even things like sharing sharing gate money. I mean, we used to do that yeah. know, decades yeah. ago. Yeah. And you can't go and watch a match where it's only got one team. So by definition, the whole crowd are going to go and watch. You know, you, you'll be supporting one team yeah, or the but other. You're watching two teams, but you're yeah. watching two teams. Therefore, so some mm. degree. And I'm not saying it has to be fifty-fifty, but some degree of of, of mm. gate share would be would be you know yeah. absolutely sensible. Mm. Um, you know, the other, the other so the other thing that bugs the life out of me is is the fact that. Um, there's this there's this nonsense which is a complete myth about um, the, the the clubs out with Celtic and Rangers um, being desperate to play Celtic and Rangers four times a season mm-hmm. because um, the away crowds that Celtic and Rangers bring you know makes a you know makes a, a significant financial difference that they couldn't do without. I mean that's that's utter nonsense when you do the analysis um, because if you if you were to design obviously you can't do this but if you were to design a league and you could actually dictate the outcome of every match in order to maximise attendances mm-hmm. at the match in every single case you would want the outcome of every match to be a home win right and that because that's what drives the thing that drives match attendances more than any other factor is how well the home team are performing yeah. and, and, and so if you look at if you look back at um, historical match attendances in seasons where let's pick Aberdeen or Hearts or something like that in seasons where Hearts are doing really well their home attendances against small teams the Gretnas and the Falkirks and the Simmons or whoever will be significantly higher than their home attendances in seasons when they're doing badly against Celtic or Rangers. Does that make sense? Yeah, so so what, what yeah. drives Hearts crowds isn't who they're playing. Is mm. it, in fact, what, what drives any team's crowds isn't who they're playing. It's how well yeah. the home team are doing. Now, not every team can obviously can be, um, can be winning all the time, but if you could design a league that was perfect in terms of maximising attendance, Every team would win their home games, and that would actually give you. Every team would, by definition, be on the same points, and so it would be perfect competition, yeah. Yeah. and that would yeah. be maximise your crowd. So, so the equalisation of money is actually of benefit to the whole ecosystem in terms of maximising yeah. revenues, yeah. in terms of attendance. And I think it would also maximise um, TV audiences and, and sponsorship money mm. because you've yeah. got you know unpredictability of outcome is, is mm. the key thing that drives sport, isn't it? So. Yeah. No disrespect to the other guests we've had on the show, but that's the best answer we've ever had. <laughs> so thank you very much for that's that. It's the longest answer you've ever had. Well, it was, but it was worth it. I'm going to just tran- transcribe this, publish this, <laughs> claim yeah. it as my own. <laughs> so the, the ecosystem right. approach to Scottish football, I'm I think that's absolutely spot on. It'd be brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. It's my PhD. Yeah. Ah, yeah, very good. Sure. Yeah. Sure. 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 Dr. Jameson, thank you very much. <laughs> brilliant. No thank you very much no for joining us. No, pr- no problem. So thanks very much to Kenny for coming in and talking to us. Um, to the Falkirk supporters and our, and our listenership, I hope that's been uh, added to your understanding of the deal that's there. Uh, it may well be stuff that you've already heard from from having signed up as pled- and, and pledged to the campaign. But if you haven't pledged already, um, I hope that's given you some more information about the ideas behind the campaign uh, and encouraged you to, to, to do so.
Yeah, we'll put the we'll put the link in the program notes if you want to go check That's out right. back the bands. We keep on saying we're going to put links in the program notes, and when I come on to doing the program notes, I forget what we've said and have yeah. to listen to an entire podcast <laughs> just to, to to find the two the two web links or Twitter handles well, that we're we're looking for. It wouldn't be so bad. Kenny's got dulcet tones, doesn't he? He's a lovely sort of tone to his voice. Yeah. So you, could, you could listen to him um, all day, I think, um, yeah. and especially his analogy of how Scottish football should be more like an ecosystem. Yeah, that was that was brilliant. The most detailed answer we've ever had to mm. that. Yeah, the one the one thing to change question. Mm. So it was great. Um, really chimed with an, an awful lot of uh, uh, the things that we've been thinking about and talking about mm. uh, about Scottish football, uh, but succinctly put with a, with, a, with a great analogy there. Mm. So there we go, and um, I hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back next week with Justin Wally, who uh, is this. That'll be a, a, a treat. I can yep. tell you now that that will be a treat, and I'm not. We've not even recorded it yet, but Justin was the manager of Matalambi during the Confucio World Cup last year, which is the kind of World Cup for all the nations that um, aren't recognised by FIFA. And he's just an amazing story. It was a bit of a social media hit. They had Bruce Gobbler playing in goal, and basically he's written a book about it uh, called One Ball No Nets, and we're going to be talking to him about his experiences next week. So can't wait. Perfect. Looking forward to it. Um, until then, have a winning week. It's <laughs> my new catchphrase. Do you like it? Uh, okay. See you later. <laughs> Bye. Behind the Goals is a Supporters Direct Scotland podcast. You can get in touch with the show by emailing behindthegoals at hotmail.com or you can also tweet the show at SupDirectScott. That's S-U-P-P Direct Scott. <laughs>